You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of Willamette Christian Church in Westland, Oregon. We hope that what you hear today inspires you to laugh, question, think, and grow. If you'd like to connect with us even further, hit us up online at willamette.cc or shoot us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. I love it, I love it, I love it. At Willamette, we do love FPNO, Foster Parent Night Out. We love all the things that are happening in our family ministries, and we just want to invite you to participate and see what's happening there and contribute to what's happening there. So like Angie said, you can chat with her after the service, fill out the Connect card, whatever it is, consider what your next step might be in partnering together as we serve families and students and kids. It's a really, really good time, and I am excited today uh, to be here. My name is Megan Lemons, if we haven't met yet. I am the pastor of Home Communities and Rooted here at Willamette, and I am just grateful. I am grateful to be here today as we are a part of our series, as we continue our series, A Different Kind of Happy. And in this series, we've been working through a part of Jesus's most famous sermon, known as the Sermon on the Mount, found in the Gospel of Matthew. Specifically, we've been focusing right at the beginning of the sermon at a set of verses known as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are part of Jesus's sermon where he talks about the virtues of the kingdom of God. It's an invitation to us to to live into the kingdom of God, to live into the ways of Jesus that invite us and our lives to thrive and flourish in some kind of unexpected ways. See, the Beatitudes, they single out cases that provide proof that that in Jesus, God's kingdom of restoration, when God will come and restore all things, is in part available to us right here and right now through the power of God working in us and through us and in the world. Uh, the blessings of the Beatitudes, they, they actually challenge us. They, they challenge us to examine our lives, to consider the things that we value, the things that we're comfortable with, the things that we approve of. The Beatitudes invite us to seek God's kingdom and to cultivate God's kingdom in our lives and in our world. Now, the Beatitudes are just a list of blessings, Uh, but when we look at them, It's a little bit confusing because it says things like, blessed are the persecuted and the poor. Blessed are the meek and the mourning. And by our standards, our culture, none of those types of people we would consider blessed. Because when we think of of blessed as being prosperous or without need or not suffering or not having poor health, this list that Jesus gives us, well, just doesn't quite make the cut. Uh, But the reality that Jesus points us to in his sermon isn't that life is going to be perfect, but he points us to a greater truth that we've been talking about every single week. And it's simply this, that, that God can be found and lives can be blessed in the midst of disappointing outcomes and in the middle of unavoidable pain. 
Jesus reminds us that that our blessedness is not circumstantial, but rather our blessedness is a declaration about who we are because of what Jesus has done. That we are loved by God, that we are approved by God, that God invites us into his kingdom way of living, that we are accepted and loved and that God will come near to us. That that no matter the circumstances of our life, we serve a God who comes close to us, no matter the curveball that life might throw our way. And the world throws some curveballs, doesn't it? I mean, this weekend alone with the weather, you guys, did you see the weather? Okay, that is a curveball. But the, but the life throws us curveballs all the time. And you know on your phone how it will curate for you pictures and memories from the past? If you have an iPhone, it will curate for you these kind of video montages of your life, and it will have like this beautiful dramatic music with it, and sometimes it's like a real tearjerker, like, I get kind of emotional watching my life here. And, you know, sometimes Austin and I will be sitting together and and we'll start watching these videos and these pictures. And and every time this happens, every time we start watching these photo memories, inevitably, a photo of us from 2019 will come up. And we will be maybe at Disneyland, because we lived in California at the time, or, or maybe we'll be at a coffee shop, or with family, or friends, or at work, or just whatever, but we'll see a picture of our past selves. And we will look at our past selves and kind of nervously laugh, and inevitably wind up saying something to the effect of, wow, those people had no clue what was coming. They had no clue that their life was totally going to change. We had no idea that we would move out of state. I had no idea that I would lose my job. We had no idea that we would lose friendships. We had no idea that we would lose loved ones. We just had no clue what was coming. The curveball of change and transition that life was going to throw our way, we had no idea how many opportunities there was going to be for us to grieve and to mourn and to cry. And I bet, as you look back on your life, I bet as you look back maybe on the last six months or the last year or maybe even the last decade, I bet that there are these moments in your life that you can point to that were just, they were just kind of devastating. Something, something like a milestone in your life without that loved one. Maybe it was a job loss or an unmet relational expectation or a broken relationship, a fractured family. The list could go on. And at each of these moments, we're kind of at a crossroads. There's kind of this trail marked out in front of us leading in two different directions. There's a trail marked out before us, and one sign on the trail says it leads towards mourning. And one sign on the trail said it leads towards masking. Now, the morning path is a path of acknowledging our brokenness, of acknowledging our pain. And well, the masked path, well, the masked path is a path full of walls and barriers that at first feel like they keep us safe. 
They keep us guarded. But the masked path, we begin to see as we walk it that there's these walls and barriers that grow higher and higher and higher. And we begin to see that we're actually missing out on life. We're missing out on goodness and beauty and and flourishing and, and thriving. And we're missing out on the blessings of God. And so Matthew 5, 4 is Jesus's beatitude of invitation. It's a beatitude of invitation that invites us on a path uh, that feels broken and and painful, but it leads to blessing. Matthew 5, 4 says this. It says, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. And as I said, when life comes our way, this beatitude is an invitation from Jesus. It's an invitation from Jesus for blessing. It's an invitation from Jesus to experience comfort. It's an invitation that invites us down a path of mourning. But we can't mourn what we first don't confront as reality. So what are the realities that we need to confront You know, there are several realities of pain and brokenness in our lives and in our world that we need to confront, and I want to talk about three of them today. It's not going to touch on everything, but there are three pretty wide nets (laughs) that cover quite a bit. So first, sometimes the reality that we need to confront is our own sin and our own brokenness. There are times when we are faced with the opportunity to mourn the ways in which we ourselves contribute to the brokenness and the pain of our world and our communities and our families and our workplaces and our finances. Our sin can creep into all kinds of places in our life and cause pain and brokenness that leads us to grieve. But, but it's not just our own sin that we need to address. Sometimes we need to confront the ways that other people's brokenness is hurting our communities or hurting us. We must at times face the reality of the ways that, that our parents or our partners or our friends are wreaking havoc on our life and on our community. These could be from things that have happened in the past or things that are happening right now. Sometimes we need to confront the reality not of our own brokenness or the brokenness of others, but just the reality of a broken world. The reality of a fallen world means that there are senseless things that happen that just, they just don't add up. It might be things like like a cancer diagnosis, the loss of a loved one, an unexplained illness that just came out of left field. But you see, Jesus' beatitude here about mourning is God's invitation to us to put down our masks, to confront the parts of our life and the parts of our story where there is brokenness and where there is hurt and where there is real pain. It's an, it's an invitation, really, this beatitude is an invitation to confrontation. It's an invitation to blessing. It's an invitation to open our eyes and look face to face with the pain that is right in front of us. It could be pain from something that has happened recently, or it could be a wound that was inflicted decades ago. 
that we have delicately kind of packed away into a box and put on a shelf. It could be from our own sin. It could be the sin of others hurting us or, or our communities. It could be the loss of a loved one, regardless of what it is. Jesus invites us down a path of mourning, which is a path of feeling, of grieving, of acknowledging what's going on. Jesus invites us down this blessed path. Blessed are those who mourn because when we take off our masks of pretending like everything's okay, when we take off our masks of, of covering up our own sin, when we take off the mask of, of trying to have it all together or pretending like other people's brokenness doesn't affect us, when we take off those masks and those pretenses, we begin to tear down the walls between us and others and the walls between us and God. When we move those things out of the way, and we accept Jesus' invitation to mourn, which is an invitation to honesty, which is an invitation to be real. We will be blessed. Why? How? Well, well, it's because in that place, in that place of honesty, in that place of realness, in that place of pain, we will find comfort because we will find God there. But, but how do we confront these things? How do we confront this pain? How do we confront this grief? It just first starts with acknowledging that it's real. Acknowledging that you're in pain. Acknowledging that the suffering of the world does affect you. And then scripture gives us a way, not the only way, but a way to, to mourn and to grieve and to acknowledge the pain of our lives and the pain of our world in the presence of God. The scriptures model for us a way of mourning called lament. See, when we are faced with the opportunity to mourn and to grieve, a lot of us, including myself, just want to mask up. We just want to pretend like everything's okay. But the reality is, is that, that even when we pretend, even when we act like nothing is going on, there is still a grief inside of us that needs to be expressed, that needs to come out, and it will come out, whether we want it to or not. And sometimes it comes out sideways because our grief needs to be expressed. See, we're all experiencing some sort of grief or, or loss in all seasons of our life. We experience grief and loss in big ways and in small ways and kind of the whole spectrum in between. We experience small losses, like when Taco Bell randomly decides to get rid of their nacho fries because they're out of touch with what the people want, okay? And maybe that's just me. Maybe I was the only one upset about them bringing it back and in and back, okay. Anyways, but maybe it's not something trivial like that. Maybe it's something real, but, but still feels uh, small, like, like uh, the loss of a routine. You lost your routine because you moved or because your age changed, your stage of life changed, and you're just kind of trying to figure things out and you're sad over missing the way things were and trying to figure out the way things are now. Or, or maybe you're grieving something much larger because we experience these small griefs, but we also experience these milestone griefs that have us reeling, like the loss 
of a loved one. Whether our grief is a milestone moment or just kind of like a small pebble in our shoe, we have to move through it. We can't simply skip over the losses and mask things by ignoring what's happening because our grief has to be expressed. It has to come out. In order to find hope, in order to find healing, in order to find, find comfort, we have to address the reality of what's going on. We have to address sometimes the darkest and the scariest parts of our stories. We have to address it, and Scripture gives us a way to do that. Scripture gives us a way to address our grief and to address our present pains and, and realities of our world, and we can practice this spiritual discipline known as lament. A lament is a spiritual practice that gives expression to our grief. It's a way for us to address our grief in the presence of God. But what is it really? Really? It's just a type of prayer, it's just a way of, of talking and communicating with God in a way that is honest and in a way that is real. Uh, laments are an expression of our grief. One author, Christina Fox, she says this about lament. She says, the laments in scripture do more than just voice painful emotions. The Psalms of lament in particular go further than just releasing pent up emotions. They are more than mere catharsis. Within themselves, they are reminders of truth. They are exercises in faith. They are transformative for the believer. When we take time to lament, it is a way that we can worship. It is an exercise in faith. And I'd add that when we embrace lament, we will find a place where we can actually meet God and where we can actually be comforted. See, lament, it's an important spiritual discipline. It's important because prayers of lament are this space, they're this invitation to us where we can be raw and honest and real with God about what we are feeling and what is going on. There are ways for us to express with honesty and openness the pain of our lives in the presence of a God who actually cares. And this is important. Because it allows us to show up before God as we actually are. And when we show up before God as we actually are, that is the place where transformation can take place. Because God, he doesn't want to transform the masked version of you. God wants to transform the real you, the honest you, the angry you, the doubting you, the questioning you, the pain and the grieving you. He wants to comfort you. Prayers of lament invite us to express fully the reality of our situation with God. They invite us to cry out to God in a real way and to actually be met by his real comfort. We see great examples of lament in the book of Psalms. The Psalms of Lament, the writer expresses the reality of their situation before God. And what's funny about us is we often don't want to do this. We like to pretty ourselves up for God. We like to pray with the fancy words. We like to act like nothing's going on. But the truth is we need to have these moments of honesty, these moments when our words come out broken and come out jumbled and come out angry because we can't experience transformation in our lives, in our relationships, and in our world without the vulnerable truth of looking at what's actually happening 
and bringing that before God. We can experience the restorative comfort that only comes from Jesus if we just ignore what's going on. But, but what does lament look like and, and how do we actually do that? The cool thing about scripture is that scripture gives us so many examples of lament, specifically in the book of Psalms. And one of my favorite examples is Psalms 13 verses 1 through 6. I reference it a lot when I talk about lament because it shows a real openness. It shows real emotion. It shows real anger at the circumstance and even anger at God. It's just real. And this is what it says in Psalms 13, verses one through six. It says, how long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look at me, answer me, God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death and my enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes, they'll rejoice when I fall. But I trust, I trust in your unfailing love. My, my heart, it does rejoice in your salvation. I'll sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. This is lament. Lament. Being open and honest with God, with our emotions and with our questions and with our longings and with our confusion and with our anger at the world and sometimes our anger at him. Did you see the journey here that the psalmist goes on? Crying out to God for help, being angry, and then that leads to finding a place of hope. But what I love about this is that this expression of grief gives way to hope, not because the psalmist skips over the grief and goes straight to hope, but because he moves through it. He moves through the pain and reminds himself of who God is in the midst of it all. And if we accept the invitation to mourn, we create a space within ourselves where we can meet God. And not because God hasn't been with us the whole time, because he has, but because we have finally said yes to acknowledging his presence with us where we really are. We create a space within ourselves to meet with God in a way that he can step into our pain and step into the loss and step into the suffering and into the disappointment and the sorrow and the frustration. And when Jesus meets us right in the middle of that place, we have the opportunity. We have the opportunity to cling to him, to cling to his goodness to cling to his faithfulness, we have the opportunity to be comforted. See, our prayers of pain and suffering, our, our prayers of doubt and questioning, I don't think of them as bad things. I actually think of them as almost these breaking points, but these breaking points that are an opening, they're an opportunity for us to draw near to God as God draws near to us. It's an opportunity for us to build a relationship with him. It's an opportunity for us to invite God into our lives, into those broken and hurting places where we most desperately need the light of his presence to shine in and restore us. When we most sincerely need to know we are not alone, it is in those places when we come face to face with our sorrow 
that we also come face to face with a God who actually cares, a God who actually steps in and comes close to carry us through and to hold us together. And so we're blessed when we mourn because in the midst of our mourning, we are walking with a God who actually comforts us. And God comforts us in three ways. We serve a God who comforts us because we serve a God who understands, who listens. And we serve a God who actually gets involved in what's happening in our life. We serve a God who gets involved in our grief and, and sits with us in our pain. And there are several places in scripture where we can actually look to see a God, a Jesus, who, who understands and who listens. Uh, we could look to the New Testament and, and see right before Jesus was just about to go give his life. He has this prayer to God and he is crying out and he is lamenting and he is in so much distress that the scriptures tell us that he was sweating blood. So we serve a God who understands pain. We serve a God who understands what it is to call out to God the Father. But we, can, we could look there or, or we could look in other places like the Gospel of John where we find a Jesus, a God who understands, who listens, and who gets involved. We see this in the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It's a story found in John chapter 11, and it records the like famously short verse, but also the profoundly comforting verse of John 11:35, which simply says that Jesus wept. But before we get there, before Jesus weeps over the pain and loss of his friend, as Jesus is on the road to see his friend Lazarus, he has an encounter with two of Lazarus's sisters. He first sees Martha, and her first words to Jesus are words that we can possibly empathize with, because when she sees Jesus, she essentially says to him, hey, if you had only been here, Jesus, if you'd only been here, my brother, he wouldn't have died. And I wonder how many times we find ourselves asking very similar questions. God, if you had only been there. God, if you had only intervened. God, why didn't you stop this from happening? God, where were you? Is what Martha cries out and lament. And to her questioning, Jesus replies in Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, and he says this to her. He says, uh, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. A curious response. A curious response to a question of lament, but we'll unpack it more in a moment, but I want us first to step back and kind of see the full scope of the story before we zone in there, because after Martha, Jesus is then confronted by Lazarus's other sister, Mary. And Mary is so overcome with grief that the only thing she can bring herself to do is collapse at the feet of Jesus and in tears agree with the sentiment of her sister, simply saying, why were you not here? If you had only been here. And it was in that moment, out of a response of his own grief, 
And out of seeing the, the, the questions of Martha and the tears of Mary that Jesus himself is so moved that he begins to weep. He weeps with Martha and Mary, entering into their sorrow with them, joining their tears with his own. Pastor Glenn Packiam says this about grief and pain. He says, grief is like that sometimes. Sometimes all we have are questions, and sometimes all we have are tears. And for both our questions and our tears, Christ himself is the answer. He is the one who restores, and he is the one who weeps with. He is the one who restores, and he is the one who comes close. And when we mourn over our own sin that has brought brokenness into the world, when we mourn over the sins of others committed against communities or committed against us, uh, when we mourn over the brokenness of our lives, when we mourn over the loss of those that we love, when we open ourselves up to those types of questions that Martha and Mary were asking, when we open ourselves up to, to the tears and to the frustrations, we will find ourselves not alone. We will find ourselves near to God. We will find ourselves not worshiping a God who is far off from us, who sets the world into motion and just watches on with popcorn at the latest plot twist of our life. No, we serve a God who comes close. We serve a God who draws near to us, is close to us in the pain, is close to us in the suffering. We we serve a God who, when we collapse on the floor in tears, collapses right next to us and cries as well. We serve a God with emotion who is actually moved to grieve. We serve a God who doesn't ask us to cover up our pain and act like everything is okay or ask us to skip straight to hope when it feels like everything in our world is crumbling down around us. We serve a God who would actually join us in the rubble, who would join us in the chaos, who would join us in that pain. And Psalms 34, 18 depicts it perfectly when it says this. It says, the Lord is close. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. You know, sometimes we feel the nearness of God through his presence with us in prayer when we engage and lament. And sometimes we experience the nearness and then the comfort of God through a friend or in our small groups, in women's community, men's community, rooted home. We experience the comfort of God in the circles that surround us. Sometimes we experience the comfort of God through the relief and strategies found in therapy. But the reality is, is that we serve a God who comes close, who draws near to us, who has feelings and emotion and is moved to grieve over the pain of our world and moved to grieve over the pain of your life. So when all you can do is cry, know that God is right there, crying with you, grieving with you, also in pain about what's happening. But not only does God get involved by weeping with us, just as he did with Mary, we serve a God who gets involved because we serve a God who has an ultimate plan. 
an ultimate plan to redeem and restore and renew all things. We are comforted by a Jesus who comes near and who cries with Mary. But we also have the opportunity to be comforted by a Jesus, by the words that Jesus says to Martha. See, when Martha comes to Jesus with her question of, of why were you not here, he reminds her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. To a mourning woman who is questioning Jesus and questioning God and questioning his goodness and his presence and his intention, I imagine that she runs into the arms of Jesus and he hears her as she pours out her anger and her doubts and her frustration and maybe she's beating on his chest and says, why were you not here? Why were you not there? Why didn't you do anything? And I imagine in that moment, I imagine that he draws her close and he simply says, don't you remember? I'm the resurrection. And I imagine that, that Jesus does the same thing for us in our mourning as well. When nothing makes sense, when there are no good answers, when there are no comforting words, when it feels like the grief that has come upon us is going to overtake us, I imagine that Jesus draws us close to himself and whispers in our ear and says, don't you remember? I'm the resurrection. Uh, if you can hold on to nothing, I, I imagine that Jesus says, if you can hold on to nothing, hold on to this. I am with you. I am working. And one day, one day, I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to restore everything. Now, in the story of, of Lazarus, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead right then and right there. It's a cool story because it gives us a foretaste of what is to come in the future. It gives us a foretaste of what is to come when God redeems and restores all things because though we mourn now, we do not mourn as those who have no hope but we have the hope of Jesus's return. We have the hope of the kingdom of God. We have the hope of a future in which God will restore all things and all people and all systems and all relationships and all families and all the earth and all of everything. This is the future that, that we are expectant of, that God is moving towards. And, and it's not just a cool idea, but it's, it's something we actually, it's a vision of God that we actually see in the scriptures. It's found in Jeremiah 31 and also in the book of Revelation. But, but in Jeremiah 31, it says this, their life, it'll be like a watered garden and all their sorrows, gone the young women will dance for joy and the men old and young will join in on that celebration and I will turn their mourning into joy and I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. And then in the book of Revelation, it says this. This is the vision of God's kingdom. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things, they're gonna be gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne, which is God, will say, look, 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 I am making everything brand new.
There will be singing and there will be flourishing and there will be rejoicing. There will be a day when our mourning is turned into dancing, when, when all things and all people and all relationships are made totally new and completely restored to perfection. But until then, until that day, through walking in our pain with Jesus, we can get a taste of that restoration now. Through, through walking in our pain with Jesus, we can get a taste of the reality of his presence with us right in the midst of our grief and pain today. Until then, we are invited to express our grief out as lament to God. Until then, we are invited by Jesus to walk with him through the most painful parts of our stories. We are invited by him to take off our masks and the barriers that separate us between us and others and between us and God. And, and when we're ready to enter into that grief, when we're ready to say yes to Jesus's invitation to mourn, we can know that we do not do that alone because we have the presence of God with us. And we know that we do not do it alone because we have each other. We have each other to walk alongside together. And the scriptures say, they, they tell us to be people who grieve with those who grieve and rejoice with those who rejoice. So when you're ready to walk that path of grief and pain, you're not alone because God is with you and we are with you willing to, to walk alongside and, and point you to Jesus. So, so blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who say yes to Jesus's invitation to walk down this path of, of mourning and pain because it's a path that will lead to blessing. It's a path that will lead to restoration. It's a path that will lead to freedom. Blessed are those who say yes to Jesus's invitation to lament, to be honest. Because on that path, what we will find is a God who sees us, a God who listens, a God who understands, a God who gets involved by coming near to us, by weeping with us, and by getting involved by eventually restoring and renewing everything. So, so it's just as Jesus said, blessed are those of us who mourn because we have that opportunity to actually be comforted by God. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who sees, that you are a God who knows, that you are a God who understands and that you don't watch from a distance, but that you come close. And so Lord, I pray today for those in this space who, who are walking that path of grief, who are currently in a place of pain, Lord, would you give them the courage to step out and to lament and to be honest and to be real in your presence? And God, would you meet them in that place of honesty, in that place of pain? God, if they're not yet ready, if they're not yet ready to take that step, Lord, would you just guide them? 
invite them with your comfort and with your presence and with your goodness to that place of honesty. Lord, I pray that you would surround them, Lord, with people who would come alongside, people who would draw near to them, who would sit with them in their pain. And Lord, I pray that you would guard their ears and their minds from those who would try to comfort, but would offer maybe more pain in their efforts. Guard them, Lord, from those interactions. Lord Jesus, I pray for us. I pray that you would teach us to be people who come close. Teach us, God, to be people who would draw near to the pain of others just as you drew near to the pain of our lives. Teach us, God, to sit in the sometimes uncomfortable places of silence, to just be with those who are suffering. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you are working to restore and renew all things. We thank you, God, that you gave us a vision of the future when we can see all things made new. But until then, God, teach us to open up our hearts to you and to open up ourselves to others. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.